Welcome to the Conkey Ride Home for Friday, October 22nd, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, thanks to a collaboration between trees and the sun, we can now pinpoint an exact year that the Vikings were in North America. Plus, are sirens actually effective tools for emergency vehicles? And why are apples associated with Halloween? Like, what is even up with apple bobbing? Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Exactly one millennium ago, Vikings arrived in North America, 1021 CE exactly one millennium ago at the latest. This is according to new research published Wednesday in the journal Nature, and the new finding is, in part, thanks to a solar storm. So Lance Umedo in Newfoundland is considered the only confirmed site where we know Vikings actually settled for a time in North America. Back in the 60s, an archaeological team identified eight structures that resembled Viking buildings, as well as a number of Norse-looking artifacts. But questions about the site abound, including when exactly people lived there. Carbon dating of the artifacts has come back with a range spanning from the 8th century through the 11th. By cross-referencing those with historical Icelandic sagas, and being able to say that one event must have happened in such and such order, they eventually narrowed it down to 1000 CE. But, you know, that's still a full century. This new study pins it down much more exactly. My favorite astronomer, Phil Plate, in his Bad Astronomy column over at Sci-Fi Wire, explains, quote, This is where the sun comes in. In the years 774 and 993, the sun blasted out some truly epic explosions called solar storms, most likely in the form of solar flares. These are spectacular events that occur when the sun's magnetic field lines get tangled up and suddenly short-circuit, releasing their stored-up energy. This can easily equal hundreds of millions of times the energy released in a one megaton nuke. The 774 AD event was the biggest in 10,000 years and was strong enough to power all human energy use for 300,000 years. These flares send out huge waves of subatomic particles into space. When they slam into Earth's atmosphere, they can generate aurora and power outages, but they also create isotopes of certain atoms. For example, the majority of carbon on Earth has six protons and six neutrons in the atomic nucleus, called carbon-12, but a flare can increase the amount of the isotope carbon-14, which has eight neutrons, and the relative amounts of these isotopes can be measured in the lab. Tree rings around the world were seen to have elevated amounts in both 774 and 993 AD, by 12 and 9% respectively, and in fact those solar storms were first discovered by examining tree rings, end quote. Tree rings are, of course, incredibly helpful for dating, since they grow one ring per year. The researchers thus analyzed three different pieces of wood from the site from different trees, but each still retaining its outer bark. Quoting the New York Times, The researchers found that their three pieces of wood all exhibited a pronounced increase in radiocarbon that began 28 rings before their outer bark. Ring 28 must correspond to the year AD 993, the team concluded. 
They ruled out earlier and later events based on the carbon-14 to carbon-12 ratios measured in the wood, which can vary in known ways over centuries. With a date now pinned to an inner tree ring, all you need to do is count when you get to the cutting edge, said study author geoscientist Michael D. The three pieces of wood the team analyzed were all felled in 1021, the researchers calculated, end quote. Further, the fact that the wood samples were all cleanly cut by a metal tool showed that they were felled by Vikings as indigenous people did not use metal tools at the time. But now we have an exact date for when some Vikings were living at Lanzo Meadows, and probably for at least several months, since one tree studied was felled in spring and another in the summer or autumn. Plus, 1021 CE might not have been their first visit, it's just the first that we've found conclusive evidence of so far. Dr. D told the New York Times that knowing these exact dates helps us mark a turning point in the history of human movement around the planet. Quote, it was the first time the Atlantic Ocean was crossed, end quote. And Plate emphasizes how this further underscores how erroneous it is for us to continue to teach schoolchildren that Columbus discovered America when there were tons of indigenous people here before him, and even a whole settlement of Vikings were here four and a half centuries before Columbus and his crew arrived. Plus, while they have an obvious bias, the sagas do make it seem like the Vikings had a much more peaceful and cooperative relationship with the indigenous people of northern Newfoundland than the later European colonizers did. As Plate concluded, quote, I've said many times that science is a tapestry. In this case, the metaphor is strong. It took the wildly different fields of solar astronomy and magnetism, cosmochemistry, dendrochronology, and archaeology all woven together to examine the evidence that led to understanding when exactly Europeans visited North America. Science. I love this stuff. End quote. So here's a bold proposal. Do we really need sirens on emergency vehicles? Living in New York City, land of a thousand sirens, it's a tempting idea to get rid of them. No more sirens. Although, personally, I'd sooner get rid of all the wannabe drag racers who took their mufflers out. But regardless of the noise pollution, sirens and lights on emergency vehicles are a net positive, right? Well, an article this week in the New York Times says maybe not. Citing over a dozen studies, the Times says that lights and sirens on emergency vehicles save an average of 42 seconds to 3 minutes when responding to a call. A specific study in Salt Lake City in the 90s found that the difference between calls using lights and sirens and ones not using either was just 26 seconds. And Dr. Douglas F. Koupas, an EMS medical director, says that time-dependent calls are actually a, quote, very tiny minority of EMS calls. Despite that, 77.5% of calls used lights and sirens from 2010 to 2015. Quoting the Times, Some medical services strive to meet response times based on studies from the 1970s, when devices such as automatic defibrillators were not widely available in public settings. Some municipal contracts require private ambulance services to meet outdated response times, incentivizing the use of sirens and lights, experts said. End quote. 
So maybe they don't need to be used as much if time isn't really of the essence and if the lights and sirens aren't having a huge effect on time anyways. But even worse, they can often cause accidents. A study by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration found that from 1992 to 2011, there were an average of 4,500 ambulance crashes per year, with an average of 2,600 people injured and 33 people killed every year. And there are a few reasons for that. When their lights and sirens are on, the emergency drivers themselves are more likely to engage in risky behavior, and the other drivers on the road are prone to act in unpredictable ways. Even though we all generally know what we're supposed to do when we see lights or hear a siren, sometimes people freeze and do unhelpful things like stopping right in front of the vehicle. And part of that, apart from anxiety in response to seeing sirens, could be because a lot of drivers don't even hear the sirens until they're a couple of seconds away, thanks to the massively improved insulation and sound systems of cars these days. And the Times points out that rural areas with little to no traffic really don't need lights and sirens at all, but quoting again, they create an allure that can help in recruiting volunteers, said Dr. Jeff J. Clausen, founder of the International Academies of Emergency Dispatch. Running hot, he said, is an adrenaline rush and makes the responses seem more exciting. It feels good, and it feels like it works, he said. When it's embedded in an institution, and a fire department is as good old boy an institution as you can get, it can be difficult to change, end quote. All that said, it does seem like lights and sirens are still crucially important when an emergency vehicle is attempting to navigate traffic. According to a report by Wayne M. Zigowicz, the facility's chief for South Metro Fire Rescue in Colorado, lights and sirens are the most important features in how easily an emergency vehicle can be seen and heard, even over other important elements like size, color, and markings. Though, in recent years, there's been another innovation. Sirens you can feel. On their own, they're only half as loud as typical sirens and use low-frequency tones to penetrate hard surfaces. Usually, though, they are also paired with a standard ear-splitting siren. So maybe there are some changes and innovations coming, or maybe we should just go back to what the Times pointed out we had back in the days of firefighting gear being hauled by horse-drawn carriage, barking Dalmatians. 101 Dalmatians for every precinct. It's great. It'll be effective, it'll be adorable, and it'll super piss off Cruella DeVille. Three things I always strive for in life. Why do we associate apples with Halloween? From day trips to apple orchards to the classic, though rarely practiced now, party game of bobbing for apples, the season does seem to be associated fairly strongly with the tart fruit. As we know from the oft-repeated myth of razor blades in apples, they even used to be a popular trick-or-treat favor. And I can't explain why, but whenever I settle in to watch a Halloween movie, I like putting together a spread of popcorn, candy, and some slices of apples, maybe with a bit of cinnamon sprinkled on top. But what is it about apples that led them to long ago be inducted into the lineup of fall fair? Apart from them being ready to harvest right around now, that is. What made them spooky? Well, one thing to know first is that Halloween has long been associated not just with spirits and the dead, but also with marriage and courting. 
Even back before it was called Halloween, the liturgy for the Catholic Church for All Saints Day, observed on November 1st, referenced, quote, the wise virgins awaiting the coming of the bridegroom. And as historian Nicholas Rogers describes in his book Halloween, From Pagan Ritual to Party Night, the injunction to Mary would be sung by choristers with their hoods up, quote, in manner of virgin women. It was anticipated that this period of the year would bring many marriages. And some marks of that stuck around as the myriad holidays at the end of October and start of November evolved over the centuries, and later, especially as enthusiasm for the supernatural picked up in 19th century England and the U.S., it became traditional for young, unmarried women to perform any number of divination rituals on Halloween to discern who their future spouse would be. A coin under your pillow so he'd visit you in a dream, molten lead under cold water to form the shape of his profession— Crackling nuts on the fire that stick together if lovers would and jump apart if they won't, and apple peels, seeds, or the fruit itself to divine one's romantic future. In a 2013 NPR article written by the authors of The New Book of Apples, Allison Richards and Joan Morgan elaborate on some of the apple traditions in particular. Starting with bobbing for apples, quote, In one popular version of the game, girls would secretly mark apples before tipping them into a barrel of water. Apples float, and as the girl's potential sweethearts ducked to catch the fruit with their teeth, future couplings were determined, or foretold. Every fall, communities in New England would prepare mountains of apples for the great kettles of apple butter that were put up for the winter. An eligible young lady would try to peel an apple in a single, unbroken strip, toss the peel over her shoulder, and peer nervously to see what letter the peel formed on the floor. This was the initial of her future husband. End quote. But where did all these young women get the idea to use apples for supernatural purposes? Apples were not native to the Americas. Their seeds were brought over by the colonizers. They are native to Western Asia and Europe, and many cultures, religions, and mythologies include apples as sacred symbols. Quoting again, Early Indo-European mythologies tell of goddesses like the Norse Idun, who dispenses magical apples to her fellow deities to keep them young. Avalon, where the dying King Arthur is said to have been laid to rest, is an isle of apples, Morgan recalls, and the Irish hero Bran is beckoned to his paradise by a branch of apple blossom from Eamon Ablock, an island in a marvelous archipelago beyond the sea where apple trees bloom and fruit at the same time. End quote. It's also thought that during the Celtic festival of Samhain, which many point to for most of the origins of Halloween, people strung apples and nuts up on evergreen trees while they burned huge bonfires, all in offer to the gods, in particular to encourage the sun deity to return the next year. Though so much about Samhain customs are a bit murky. What's a bit easier to deduce is the general appeal of the apple this time of year. Quoting once more, it's not hard to imagine how apples became such powerful symbols of fertility and renewal. As the leaves turned and the days shortened, the arrival of apples on the menu of hunter-gatherers and the first farmers would have been eagerly anticipated. It didn't really matter whether the apples were large or small, sweet or sour. They could be eaten fresh, boiled or baked, strung up to dry for the winter months, or allowed to ferment into a hard cider that must have made the dark and cold easier to bear. In the failing autumn light, a shiny red or golden apple might have seemed like a promise, or an entreaty, that the sun would come again. Apple blossoms heralded the renewal of life each spring, and in the magical mix of image and meaning, ripe apples acquired the power and allure of a fertile woman's body. 
end quote. Pumpkins get a similar treatment, both in terms of their bright, joyful allure and connection to fertility, but they don't feature quite as much in ancient mythologies and sagas that we know of. I mean, surely some of the oral histories of the indigenous communities in present-day Mexico could have had stories featuring the early relatives of the pumpkin, but they definitely haven't held the same shine as apples year over year and culture to culture. And that's without even getting into poison apples and fairy tales and the apple that tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, although that was likely another kind of fruit in the original texts and early translations. Though we may not bob for apples as much anymore, and probably never will again in our new COVID age, they remain a vibrant symbol of the season, a symbol of promise for things to come. One last thing before I go, a bit of a public service announcement in case you haven't heard yet. Apparently, there is a salmonella outbreak among onions in the U.S. The CDC says there have already been over 652 hospitalizations across 37 states, but likely even more than that since most people with mild cases might not report it or go to the doctor. So this is a pretty substantial outbreak. The CDC and FDA are still investigating, but say for now that fresh, whole, red, white, and yellow onions from Chihuahua, Mexico, and distributed by ProSource Inc. and Keeler Family Farms are the ones to watch out for, particularly any exported after August 27th. There are no visible checks for salmonella that you can look for. You've just got to be careful what you buy. If the sticker says it's from ProSource, Keeler Family Farms, or from Chihuahua, Mexico, don't buy it or throw it out if you already have it, and try not to buy or eat any that don't have a label. It may not be a poisoned apple, but trust me, you do not want to get salmonella from an onion, so check the link in the show notes for more info as it continues to update. And on that happy note, that is it from me for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.